today on Mother Mayhem. I used to describe anger as the bullet casing on a bullet. It's that like sharp, pointy, impenetrable thing because underneath that shield and underneath that protection is the gunpowder. And that is very delicate and it is volatile and it is vulnerable and it is all those soft, messy feelings that we don't always know if they're going to be accepted and we don't know what's going to happen when we release them and we don't know how it's going to go. That vulnerability is the gunpowder and the anger becomes the shield protecting that. Welcome back to Mother Mayhem, the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Podcast for Daughters. Hi, I'm your host, Heather Gray. Thanks so much for staying in this conversation with me. I know that talking about trauma isn't the most exciting thing to do with your day, but I really do believe in the conversations we're having. I really especially believe in the order in which we're having these conversations and how we're talking about such a hard topic. Looking at and examining the way your early childhood and your relationship with your mother impacted you in the present day isn't easy. It can stir up all kinds of emotions. It can stir up all kinds of feelings, and it can put you in a place where you can feel like life is always going to be this hard. And my thinking of that is that sometimes it is that hard. Trauma is hard, and there's no real way of getting around that, avoiding it. We have to go through it. But I think one of the things that is incredibly powerful and one of the things that is moving me through this conversation as I think about how I want to help you navigate this conversation with yourselves is that if we can understand ourselves, if we can understand why we're doing the things we're doing, why we're not doing some of the things we're not doing, and why we're saying things or not saying things. If we can really start to understand ourselves, we start to figure out what it is we need to do differently. When we find ourselves simply reacting or having our bodies flood with emotions and we have no idea where that's coming from, It just makes us feel crazy. It makes us feel like there's something wrong with us, that we are somehow broken or damaged. But if we can unpack a little bit of why we act the way we act or why we respond the way we respond, we have more control. And for trauma survivors, control is everything. Control is the most important thing. Feeling that you have a sense of control over what is happening to you, that you get to say when, and you get to say where, and you get to say how much, and you get to say yes, and you get to say no on your own will is the most powerful tool you have towards healing regaining autonomy and a sense of self and independence after a lifetime of having choices and decisions and thoughts driven by your mother and her behavior and her needs and her feelings. That's everything. It's the most important thing. Today, we're digging into the conversation that a lot of you have probably been facing in one way, shape, or form or another. It's around hypervigilance and anxiety and how that people who have been raised in traumatic, upsetting, tension-filled environments such as you have 
it pre-wires us and it pre-wires our brains to be a little bit on the anxious side of life. When you've had a childhood that's been disrupted or interrupted or has lacked sort of authentic attachment, has lacked real, true, valid connection, nurturing, that your needs get met when you need them and that your childhood was safe and orderly and predictable and filled with love and validation When you don't have those things and your experience in early childhood hasn't been one of love and acceptance, it creates this sensation where your body and your brain always have to be wired for risk. Remember what I've said, and again, I've been incredibly deliberate in the conversations that we've been having to date, the relationship with yourself and understanding the impact of trauma. If you go back to those first two episodes that we had on the show, and even I've mentioned it last week as well, and when I talked about relationships, but when brains are impacted by trauma, they become wired for protection. So in last week's episode, we talked about how your brain being wired for protection impacts your attachment style, impacts the way you connect with others, that instead of moving towards other people in a way that has ease, you're either moving towards people in this really pressure-filled way, or you're pulling back and you're hiding and you're avoiding and you're being hesitant around forming connections or forming closer connections. That is your brain wiring you for protection. It's protecting you from perceived, sometimes it's perceived and sometimes it's real. This has a purpose. So the way I say it is your brain wires you for real or perceived protection, but sometimes it shoots first and asks questions later. You find your body responding and you find yourself reacting to something that consciously you haven't connected to and you don't have that clear sense of why you're doing what you're doing, why you're saying what you're saying or why you're keeping quiet when you have an opinion or why you're playing small when you really want to show up. A lot of times that's trauma brain running your show and running along the risk of protection first. What we have to do is understand that as a result of having a childhood filled with this disrupted attachment, filled with inconsistent needs getting met and feeling unreliable connections in your relationship with your mom or with your caregivers, you tend to run more anxious. And we want to help you understand that. But also too, we want you to feel that you're in control of the volume so that when you are in a situation and you've tested it and you know it's okay, and either it's a risk and you're choosing it because you're going to get up on a stage and you're going to perform or you're going to do a keynote presentation, or you're going to talk in a workshop, and you know it's nerve-wracking, and you know that you might misspeak, or me showing up on this podcast knowing that I might have to stop and start a few times before I find my swing. It's showing up and knowing that what we're doing is vulnerable, but knowing we choose it so that we can cue our brains to say, hey, yeah, of course, this is totally nerve-wracking. Of course, you're nervous, and of course, you think that I should get out of Dodge right now, but actually, I know what I'm doing here. I'm just having a conversation on the mic, brain, 
Thanks for protecting me, but I don't need you. We want you to feel more in control of having that conversation with yourself where you can say, thank you, trauma brain, for having my back. Thank you for looking after me. Thank you for taking care of me. But actually, I'm all set now. I'm good. I've got this. So this conversation today is about helping you navigate and understand your hypervigilant response or your anxious response in situations that you're coming across in your present day. Because for some of you coming to this show, you run anxious or hot all the time. You feel it in your body from the second you get up till the second you go to bed. And you might even find that it finds you in the middle of the night, that there isn't really a time when you are not scanning for potential threat or risk. And what we want you to do is feel like you can turn that down, that you have confidence in the life you're building for yourself and the choices you're making for yourself and the people you're choosing to spend time with so that you can lower the volume that sort of shouts at you, stranger danger, stay away, don't go near, and allows you to enter new situations and seek more connection and to seek less protection. We have to remember what we're talking about, that your brain has been wired in fight or flight mode, right? That the way you got through your childhood largely was by monitoring your mother's moods, what made her happy, what made her upset, what, how she woke up on the right side of the bed or the wrong side of the bed, what she needed in order to have peace in the house. So you are so programmed to look at your life and to look at the way things are and to see potential threats or risk. And as a result, you're wired to see where things can go wrong, where things can go bad. It increases the likelihood that you might be a little pessimistic. You might be managing some cynical thoughts, but more often than not, it shows up in one of two ways, not trusting yourself or not trusting other people. And if we can get you in control of anxious brain and trauma brain, we can help you feel more confident in your own decisions, and we can help you feel more confident as you connect to other people. You know, the other piece to this too is remembering what we said last week around anxious or avoidant attachment, the way you perceive people at the outset and the way you experience people at the outset is largely impacted by trauma brain in your previous experiences with other people. Now, if you're lucky, the most difficult person in your world was your mother, and you have figured out a way to get through childhood and navigate adulthood without any other difficult relationships, but that's not really common. Because all of us with narcissistic mothers or no narcissistic mothers, all of us have relationships and connections with all kinds of people that impact the stories we have about ourselves and how we move through the world inside those relationships. 
So as we think about our protection, the protective brain and the protective instincts of trauma, we also want to consider our natural inclinations around attachment. I spent a lot of time talking about that last week, so I'm not going to be talking about it too much today, but I want you to use that knowledge. And if you haven't listened to the last episode, please do go back and listen to it. It's an important lead into this conversation is understanding how you connect to other people. You want to carry that awareness of your tendencies and your needs because the more you do that and the more you find what I tend to call radical self-acceptance, the more you're able to connect with the way you move through the world and what you need to feel safe and secure and the more you allow those things into your life and create boundaries around your life to ensure that they're possible, the more success you're going to feel in your regular everyday, the more calm you're going to feel, and the more sort of connected you will feel to yourself and to other people. So it's really important to be paying attention to those. What we want to remember here and make note of is I am not asking your brain to stop protecting you. I am not saying, go out into the world, take the chances, do the thing. Nothing bad will ever happen to you because we know that's not true. We know that there's risk and we know that new connections are hard and new activities can be challenging. What we want here is for you to feel in control of making the decision based on the evidence, not based on your brain's sort of instinctive response to withhold, to withdraw, to keep back and to not take chances and to not connect and to not show up in your own life. We want you feeling safe and able to securely attach to people who you have vetted already and connected with and want to connect more with. Sometimes to do that, your brain and your body is going to be running so hot and is going to be so wired that before you go into sort of the process part of this that involves some words and involves a conversation with yourself, you're going to have to focus on grounding techniques. I talked a little bit about these two in previous episodes. This particular episode where I'm talking to you about is, yay, the fifth episode of our show. I'm so proud we've made it to five, and here's to many more. But for this fifth episode of the show, I have created a worksheet of a lot of different grounding techniques so that you can have it as an attachment and a checklist that you can use in future interactions that you have with yourself, in future interactions you have with other people, when you recognize that your body's running hot and that you're in flood, flight, or freeze, it'll allow you some tools and strategies to slow down. But for the sake of this conversation, it's important that we review at least a few of them and the concept of them because simply having a conversation about your anxiety might just make you a little bit anxious. So the thing that I like to think about when I am encouraging people to do grounding techniques is to focus on the five senses, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're tasting, what you're smelling, what you're touching. You want to be able to access those things because they will tune you into the present, what you're currently touching, where your feet are currently grounded, what you're currently hearing, what you're currently seeing keeps you locked in and mindful about the present. 
So for some people, those breathing exercises where you're taking really deep breaths, and again, I walked you through that um, and how to have a better relationship with yourself. You want to take really good, deep cleansing breaths to be able to start to notice and pay attention to where your body is in relationship to the room, in relationship to the space and in relationship to your life. Getting clear and quiet and still with yourself and paying attention while you take some deep cleansing breaths will relieve stress and anxiety and will calm your body. Things like yoga, moving your body, stretching your body, You might find that taking really deep breaths and then making like auditory sounds after. I don't want to do it on the podcast because it makes for such lousy audio, but you might have to be audible in your exhale so that you're focusing on the sound your body is making and giving yourself something to think about in that sound as opposed to whatever is making noise in your head. You might like a warm blanket around you or a hot shower. Sometimes those showers can be really powerful because you can get into the shower and you can imagine the water going down the top of your head and washing down all the troubles, all the worries, all the concerns you have and having the water go down the drain. You might enjoy an open window with the breeze on your face. You might enjoy a dim room with candlelight and find that particularly calming. So you want to pay attention to things like temperature and texture and touch. But what you're doing in any of these, and again, I have the whole worksheet. It's bit.ly slash Mother Mayhem 5 for the full worksheet. And I'm going to put the link for that in the show notes. But all of these things tune you into the present. And so anytime, even as you're just listening to this episode, if you feel your body getting hot, if you feel sensations that don't feel in your control, you can start to collect grounding techniques that help you calm down, help you quiet your mind, and help you find and restore some peace. Not every grounding technique is going to be your thing. But if you try a variety of them, you will be able to find your thing and you will be able to collect a toolbox of things that when you're feeling upset and when you're feeling anxious, you can turn to. My recommendation for people who run on the anxious side of life and who tend to be anxious more often than not isn't just to do grounding techniques when you find yourself in the middle of a reaction What I also want to encourage you to do is to start to build daily habits of the sort of go-to grounding techniques you have collected and use them regularly. Ideally, I like to advocate for three times a day in the morning to start your day, midday to check in with yourself, and then at the end of the day to calm down and cool down because that way You're able to calm your own system. And then when you're telling your brain, hey, brain, I've got this, we're okay, your brain is going to be cued by your own calm and by your own centeredness. And it will know that it's okay to calm down and it will help you stop spinning. If you're needing some of those, again, go to the worksheet. I think a lot of times if we think about trauma and we think about the discussions that you can find online or in self-help books or by coaches or therapists. When you hear about trauma, 
one of the first topics you hear about is hypervigilance. And you are taught quickly about how your brain gets caught in fight, flight, or freeze mode and how you have to calm your body down. And right around where I just ended the conversation, it's my experience that's where most of the conversations end is like, hey, P.S., you're a trauma survivor. So, yep, you're going to be a little anxious from now on. Hey, P.S., you're a trauma survivor. That means you're going to be wired for risk and you're going to maybe find your body stuck in fight, flight or freeze. That whole conversation. I've spent several episodes at this point introducing you to that because it's important. It's legitimate. It's true. It's your truth. But if I'm being honest with you. One of the reasons why I started this show and why I have been so careful and so deliberate in having this conversation and how I'm having this conversation is because I think a lot of people in the trauma space fail you by ending the conversation there. Because it's not just about calming your body. It's not just about getting mindful and doing some yoga and listening to some music and moving along with your day. We really have to start to understand what else is going on. And it is my bias and it is my belief because I'm not Brene Brown. She is my hero and she is the social worker who also researches and she has all sorts of scientific data to back up the things she says. I have done zero research. I have not done any experiments. I have not done any surveys, but it is just my experience and my professional opinion that when we end the conversation around anxiety and hypervigilance with the somatic experience of it, we're leaving a lot on the table. It is not always going to be about just simply telling your brain, it's okay, the threat is over, you can move on now. That's usually where it starts. But afterwards, we really have to start to look at what the heck is going on. And back in the day when I started my professional career, I had this expression where I was working with kids in residential programming. I would tell them that sad equals mad and mad equals sad because I would work with kids that were unsuccessful in the community. They would have gotten kicked out of school or kicked out of their homes. Most of them didn't have homes. That's where my passion for mother-daughter relationships came to be in the first place is working with these kids and seeing what disrupted mother-child bonds did to their own development simply as kids. But these kids would act out. They would become assaultive. They'd try to run away from the program. They'd yell, they'd scream, they'd push, they'd plead, but they weren't looking to become my BFF, right? They weren't looking to befriend me. They were very much resistant to connection. They were hardwired for fight, flight, or freeze. And so a lot of times when they got super angry, I would tell them that their anger was their unexpressed sadness that they were so sick and tired of feeling sick and tired that they just got mad because mad is loud and empowering and it makes you feel in control and it makes you feel like you have a say and it makes you feel like you're not the only one in the world who thinks this way or feels this way or wants these things or needs these things. I used to describe anger as the bullet casing on a bullet. It's that like sharp, pointy, impenetrable thing because underneath that shield and underneath that protection is the gunpowder. And that is 
very delicate and it is volatile and it is vulnerable and it is all those soft, messy feelings that we don't always know if they're going to be accepted and we don't know what's going to happen when we release them and we don't know how it's going to go. The vulnerability is the gunpowder and the anger becomes the shield protecting that. Now, a lot of you who were raised in narcissistically abusive homes and had narcissistic mothers, you weren't allowed to be angry. That wasn't your experience. And your childhood, for many of you, probably wasn't so miserable and loud and dramatic that you ended up living outside your home and being raised in a system like the kids that I worked with. Most likely, you had to exist in your house And that didn't mean you didn't have all those other vulnerable feelings I just talked about with those girls that I worked with at the beginning of my career. You had the vulnerability, you had the sadness and the anger and the fear and the discouragement, and you had those gunpowder-like feelings and experiences, but you wouldn't be able to start yelling about it. You wouldn't have been able to start fighting about it without massive consequence inside your house and without inside your family. And a lot of you weren't allowed to be sad either because you couldn't express your sadness. If you got sad, your mother most likely told you that you had nothing to be sad about or started to list all the things that she had to be sad about. And so you told yourself a story that my sadness never counts or my sadness doesn't matter. You did the same thing with your fears, with your insecurities, your self-doubt, your loneliness, the feelings that were inconvenient to have in the childhood home that you were being raised in had no place to go. But for a lot of you, anxiety was the socially accepted feeling that you could have. Because A, if you were nervous, your mom liked it. So she either liked it because you were needy Or she liked it because it gave her a sense of power and control over you. She could see that her words were having impact on you. And then outside of the home, if you're anxious and nervous, then people know you really care a lot. People know that you're paying attention to details. People know that you are working, you're trying to be a perfectionist, right? You're just trying to get it all right and do the right thing. So a lot of anxious people can successfully fly under the radar, Because anxiety doesn't bring out the emotional response that your sadness might or that your anger might or your confusion or your discouragement. So for a lot of you, what you have often heard is that your brain has been wired for fight, flight, or freeze. That's what I've been telling you on repeat, and I believe it's true. But another part of this conversation has to be that your brain is wired for anxiety because it was the only feeling that you were ever really allowed to have. You couldn't be happy or joyful. You couldn't be mad. You couldn't be sad. You couldn't be scared. You couldn't be any of those things. So every one of your feelings got processed through your body as anxiety. If you have been in the self-help section a lot if you have gone to your fair share of therapy, if you are always on Instagram and TikTok and all the social media apps and bookstores trying to find the answer for why you're still anxious, even though you have been doing all this work on your anxiety, this is the conversation you should be having with yourself. If my feeling and the energy I feel in my body wasn't named anxiety, What would it be named? What would I call it? What feelings come up? 
one of the things that I often use and one of the ways I describe feelings is that our feelings are just energy and we get to use our energy to make us bigger or we can use the energy to make us smaller. And a lot of times when those feelings come up and we don't have permission to express them, we use that energy to be small, to cower, to tie, you know, put ourselves into a ball and to hide into the corner. So if you've done the grounding techniques and you've done the deep breathing and you've gone to therapy and you've taken the medicine and you're still more anxious than you'd like to be, I would start to ask yourself, what are the other things that my anxiety might be named if I didn't call it anxiety, if I didn't call it hypervigilance, if I didn't call it fight, flight, or freeze? Because oftentimes that buzzing you're feeling, that energy you're feeling is often unexpressed grief, unexpressed sadness, fear, self-doubt, a lack of confidence. It has so many different names aside from anxiety, fear, or panic. And we have to get curious about it just to see what might be there. But the thing that we have to pay attention to is just like you've been wired for fight, flight, or freeze, and you've been conditioned to stay small, and you've been conditioned to not talk, and you have been encouraged to not show up for yourself, you have repeatedly been told that you do not have permission to show up, that your feelings are not wanted here, or they're not welcome, or they're too inconvenient. So the first step towards managing the hypervigilance and managing your anxiety is to give yourself permission to heal, to give yourself permission to have a different name for your feelings, to start to give yourself permission to calm down, be curious about your emotional experience, and to see what else it's having to say to you. But a lot of times wellness and making good choices and seeking calm and peace, that wires our brain in that protective response because it's change. And our brains are pre-wired to perceive any kind of change, real or imagined, as potentially risky because it means risking vulnerability. It means sharing our feelings with the wrong person and not getting our need met. It means showing up and saying what we're thinking and having somebody say, thanks for letting me know, but we're still doing what we're going to do and we're not taking action on your opinion. That showing up and looking at these feelings and identifying these feelings still comes with a host of anxiety. So in order to work through that and get to know it and to be curious about it and understand it more, you're going to have to start giving your brain and your body and yourself permission to be well. And a lot of you have no clue that you have not been giving yourself permission to be well. That fight, flight, or freeze is keeping you in a state of being unwell, of being nervous, of being buzzy, because being well feels scary for somebody who has never had a period of calm. Peace feels boring. Peace feels uneventful and peace feels like being a deer caught in the headlights, just waiting for the next shoe to drop. You want to give yourself permission to be curious, 
to explore and to be well. And you're going to do that by reassuring your brain like, hey, I know you've had my back. Hey, I know you've been taking care of me, but I've got this now. And I'm just going to look at this and see what I'm going to see. And I'm not going to do anything quickly without being thoughtful and considerate. But you're going to have to wire your brain for that. And then as you have this conversation with yourself, it's about looking at and validating those experiences. Because a lot of times what happens is we start to look at those feelings and we start to look at that vulnerability and the shame and the blame rears its ugly head. And it wants to take control of a situation without knowing all the facts. It just wants to say, you are the problem. You did this wrong. Look at you. What's wrong with you? Other people don't have this. And that, again, becomes that vulnerable risk that comes with exposing this for you. So what we need to help you do is say, yes, this energy, this nervousness is an expression of my sadness. It's an expression of my grief. It's an expression of my loss. And I can just quietly know that for a little bit. I don't have to do anything different with it. I can see it and notice it and honor it and respect it. But one of the things that you're also going to have to do is recognize that you are very used to making yourself the problem. One of the reasons why anxiety feels comforting for people who have had it for all their lives, why it becomes the go-to feeling and the go-to experience, one of the reasons why you do this and experience that is because if you can make yourself the problem for anything, the reason something's not going well, the reason why there's conflict, the reason why there's tension, if you can make yourself the problem, you then by default can become the solution. Oh, I shouldn't have talked to my mother so soon into the day. Mornings are really hard for her and she hasn't had her coffee. I shouldn't have bothered my boss with two emails inside an hour. He's so busy. He didn't need to hear from me so quickly after my last email. I shouldn't have called my friend and asked her for lunch. I just saw her last week, etc., etc., etc. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have felt that. When we look at that, one of the reasons why that propensity happens, we're going to be talking more about this in the next episode when we tackle people-pleasing and perfectionism and boundaries, but one of the reasons why that happens is if we can make ourselves the problem, we can make ourselves the solution, and then we don't need anybody else to solve the problem. We don't need to be vulnerable. We don't need to ask for help. We don't need to worry about having an unmet need. So that perfectionism tendency, that anxious tendency to please and to avoid conflict and to always have the right answer, that pressure that fuels hypervigilance is often a misguided way of trying to control a situation. In the first part of this episode, I talked to you about grounding and giving yourself permission and your brain permission to calm the heck down and slow its roll a little bit to be centered, to be still, to find peace, and that you would run the show. The next part that we talked about is giving yourself permission 
to express what is actually showing up in these fearful, panic, anxious, hypervigilant, fight, flight, or freeze responses? What other feelings are coming up? What else is coming to mind for you? And then this last piece means understanding and recognizing that the solution may not end with you. That part of what you have been doing and running the show by yourself in fight, flight, or freeze and being hypervigilant is trying to make it so you didn't have to involve anyone else in the problem. And you didn't have to say no, and you didn't have to create conflict, and you didn't have to create tension. You were the problem so you can become the solution and then nobody else needs to get involved. Now, think about as I've walked you through that, how that changes the expression of what hypervigilance and anxiety and fear and panic is. Yes, you were wired because of risk and you were wired to protect against threat. But also, you were a human being with a whole plethora of emotional experiences that have not been expressed, that have not been validated or seen or connected. And when those feelings don't get expressed and don't get validated, they start to carve you from the inside out. And if we can understand that and begin to express that and see that for ourselves, then we start to heal. This, my friends, is just the start of the conversation. Once we tackle next week's episode around people-pleasing, boundary setting, and limits in general, we're going to be able to get more situational. We're going to be able to get to what do I do when and how do I manage this if, and we can get more life-specific and how these things are expressed. But until we have a better understanding of ourselves and are able to validate our own experience and have clear understanding of where we're coming from and why we shouldn't be involving other people in that process yet. Again, that's why I'm being so specific and so clear in my order here for how we're going to have these conversations. Because now that you understand that your anxiety can look and shape and appear different You're also now going to see how it's wired you for people-pleasing, for poor boundaries and limits, and for conflict avoidance. In order to tackle those things, we have to get you closer to understanding yourself. So hopefully the conversations we've had before our episode next week have helped you do exactly that. I wanted you to understand the role of trauma. It was important for you to first and above all begin to have a better relationship with yourself and then with other people. Hopefully today's conversation is helping you have better understanding of yourself and how you move and operate so that next week you can start to think about where you can pull back from the people-pleasing and the conflict avoidance and all of those things and where you can start to show up for yourself with your needs in your relationships with other people. Next week, we're digging into it. Perfectionism, people-pleasing, and boundary setting. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so 
grateful to be having these conversations with you. I really do want you looking at that grounding worksheet that I offered you. The link for that, again, is bit.ly slash Mother Mayhem 5. The link for that will also be in the show notes. And as I've explained this to you, if you have had any questions or comments or thoughts or concerns about it, please reach out to me. You can find me at Heather at Daughters npd.com. You can leave me a voice memo. You can send me an email. I'm going to welcome your comments and questions for the show. I really would love for this to be an advice show where your participation is the driving force behind it. But for now, thank you so much for today and for being with me. I really look forward to talking to you next time. I'm always in it with you. Bye for now. I really appreciate you tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow it on your favorite podcast app. If you know another woman who needs this show and its conversation in her life, I really do hope you'll consider sharing it with her. Your feedback's going to help me build the show into what we need it to be. I'd really sincerely, truly love to hear from you. You can also find me and connect with me over on Instagram at DaughtersNPD. Until next time, take care of you and know that I'm in it with you. Thanks for listening to Mother Mayhem. Bye for now.